For some of you, it's your first time. For others, it is not. But for today, I would like to welcome you all to Epic Realms. Friends and enemies, heroes and villains, welcome to Epic Realms. Today's guest has been creating RPG content for over three decades. He's worked with a multitude of companies and systems, as well as founding the amazing company known as Kobold Press. Please welcome Kobold in Chief, Wolfgang Bauer. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I appreciate it. I, I, I got a question for you. Where did this Kobold in Chief come from what did, where did that term how did that because i every time i say it i laugh i'm like that's i know amazing. right um I, I could tell you it comes from my magazine days because of course i was an editor-in-chief for years on uh monthly magazines like dragon magazine and cobalt quarterly and others um and so I said, well I'm not the editor-in-chief anymore I'm the cobalt in chief here at cobalt press <laughs> So you came up with the name, is what you're saying? I think so. You know, Somebody it's 17 it years ago. The company's been around for 17 years come next week or so. Uh, so my memory might be a little fuzzy. Okay. But that, I believe, was one I gave myself. Somebody's going to come in. I came up with that name, darn you. <laughs> you know, that's fine. Coming out of the woods, remind me. <laughs> oh, that's great. So... To, to give us a little background, how did you kind of get into the business? You mentioned Dragon Magazines. Was that kind of your start sure. was getting into doing Dragon Magazines? Yeah, I wrote some articles, first for Dungeon Magazine and a couple for Dragon, but mostly adventures for Dungeon when I was in high school and college, um, and it was fun. But uh, but I was busy pursuing, you know, a degree and uh, chemistry and um, yeah, biochemistry mostly. Um, and then at some point, um, friend of mine who was running our Spelljammer campaign at the time said, you know, they're hiring, right? And I said, who? And he said, TSR in Lake Geneva. They make, the yeah, I know who they are. Right. And it was one of those, you should apply. Yeah, I don't think so. You know, <laughs> and he was like, well, I'm going to apply and I'm going to get this job and laugh at you. And I'm like, okay, fine, Steve, I will apply. And he kind of shamed me into it, which was fine because I sent them a note and they said, when can you come in for an interview? And I was living in upstate New York at the time and they were in Wisconsin. So I'm like, well, not this weekend. Um, yeah. <laughs> somehow I got down there um, and they, they liked the look of me and they said, well, we like your writing. We figure we can make an editor out of you come aboard. Um, and and I did. Did you have so, to move down there to do that? Or did I you... did. I actually moved to I moved to the town where they filmed Groundhog Day. Okay. 
because it's a town named Woodstock, Illinois, and it's about 20 miles from Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. And I'm like, fine, it's, it's got cheap rent. I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> and that square in Groundhog Day where he keeps stepping into a puddle and all of that, that's Woodstock. I Every time I watch that movie, I'm like, I remember this place. <laughs> um, but working there was just a blast. Uh, and it's where I got my start. And I was just trying to put out good role-playing content every single month. Uh, while learning how to be a better editor. And, you know, you got good work habits if you're forced to uh, produce on deadline week after week, month after month. So that was my start. What was your, what do you think your strong point was doing that? Was it the writing or the editing, like creating? Well, they gave me a chance. Stuff like that. I think they gave me a chance because my writing wasn't terribly hard to edit. Like, if you are a professional editor, you know that there are people who show up with great ideas, but their prose needs some work. And there are people who show up with great prose, but the ideas are a little weak. And it's usually easier to fix the first kind, right? Like these 12 run-on sentences could use a few periods and we could untangle this syntax. But yeah, I think they... They liked me as an editor because I would clean stuff up and I was a quick study. Uh, it was a little embarrassing, actually. The late Kim Mohan, who was editor-in-chief at uh, Dragon Magazine at the time, um, my first few months there, I would edit a thing, I would mark up a paper document or an electronic document, and then he would come along behind and show me everything I'd missed, which was pretty embarrassing, right? Like It's like, you guys hired me, but I'm missing all this stuff. And they're like, yeah, you're learning our house style. You're learning the ins and outs of how we present roles. Like what you sent us as a manuscript, as a writer, you just sent us something that was fun to read, but we're cleaning it up and you're learning how to do that. So I don't know. There are a few people who write and edit, uh, and I've always done some of both. But in the long run, I think I love the writing more. Yeah, that makes sense. What kind of different things did you work on after that? Because I like I've I've seen some of your stuff. You worked on like sure. Alcadim and Planescape. What, what's some of the other stuff you worked on? That was all evenings and weekends for me because I was working the magazines as okay. my nine to five, and on the weekend they would say, "Well, we need a freelancer to pick up a chunk of Planes of Chaos." I'd be like, "I can make that happen." Um, so. All the Alcadim stuff and all the Planescape stuff and a little bit of Forgotten Realms and Birthright, those were things I wrote um, at home. Okay. Whereas most of the people working on D&D at that time, you know, they had an office and a shelf full of books and all that. And I was like, I got a laptop or a, hell, a desktop at home and was just trying to hammer that stuff out and then turn around Monday morning drive back into Lake Geneva and and start the editing. So um, I was pretty intense about it for the four years or so I was at TSR. And then I went to Wizards of the Coast and things were very different there, like work habits and how the company was structured and what I was doing. Um, but I don't know. I, I feel I met a lot of great people. It was a really creative environment. I you know, could work, walk down the hall and say hello to know Seb Cook or Jeff Grubb or one of the people of the second edition heyday who remembered working with Gary Gygax he was long gone by the time I got there yeah 
but they would say, oh yeah, he used to work here. It's his thing. I'm like, but you worked with him. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and the stories varied. Some were, you know, wild and woolly and some were, well, we're glad that we have an office where the heat works now. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do you do you ever get people that are very nostalgic for some of the the the, the worlds that don't you know like the Alcadims and the birthrights that don't that aren't there anymore and they're like we want more yeah. we want some of this in the modern day do you get a lot of that I think the most popular ones have been brought back time after time right like those are all second edition frankly the settings were the gems of second edition right yeah I I think they all got incredibly much better many of them thanks to the editorial and production work of andrea heyday who's in all the credits for ravenloft and alcadim and others she was one of the editors who was really more of a producer she got the best out of everybody she wouldn't settle for you know it's okay um she always pushed everybody to do amazing work and she ran the ravenloft a community theater thing at Gen Con every year when they put on a Ravenloft play featuring the staff. Uh, anyway, yes, people are nostalgic for that one for Planescape. I guess, I mean, did Everon ever go out of print? I guess it's sort of, yeah, it's kind it of still a, there, I think. Yeah, I think it's still, but like there are others that are, there's not Mistara, a lot of nostalgia. Yeah. <laughs> There's a little nostalgia for Dark Sun and Mist. I'm pissing off fans right now, right? Right. Like there are people who still love Dark Sun, but they're a smaller group. Um, or Birthright, right? Like the there is a tiny fandom, but most of the people um like the Forgotten Realms or Dragonlance. Yeah. The classic fantasy that never really went out. Um, I don't know. I occasionally get a question about Alcadim or something landscapey and i love that stuff so i'm happy to talk about it but but i feel like it had its time and the best parts of it got ripped up and moved into core fantasy culture right like everybody knows what dragonlance is or everybody knows a little bit about planescape right and a lot of those systems too can be seen in a lot of those worlds can be seen in, you know, some of the stuff in Paizos in the Pathfinder Galarian world and, you know, yep. in your guys' own stuff in, at Kobold Press. Sure. You know, you guys can see a lot of that stuff there. You can see the influences. They're still there. They're not gone. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, the Midgard setting from Kobold Press is is very much a, a slightly different cosmology, but there's still the heavens, the hells, the plains, the chaos, the shadow realm, right? The world tree connecting things. It has the same vibe as a lot of the best Planescape mm-hmm. uh, in its planar cosmology because Planescape taught us, oh, the planes are strange and alien and fun. Right. For sure. You you mentioned that you were role-playing beforehand. How did you get into role-playing? Oh, gosh. I got in with the blue box, played with my sister and a neighbor kid, and then a bunch of friends of mine. We all played down at junior high for years um and the library and then high school and then college yeah i played with the same group for probably six or seven years okay uh and at some point i started writing a little but you know mostly i was a player yeah nowadays are you more of a a player person or more of a gm which do you prefer i'm way more of a gm now i'm either running call of cthulhu 
or I'm I'm messing about with D and D, or uh, once in a while it's something a little crazier, a, a playtest for Cobalt Press. Uh, some of the Black Flag stuff has taken up my time uh, in recent months, um, but playtest playtest isn't quite as much fun as we're just going to sit down and play. Yeah. Um, so I tend to GM at conventions a few times a year which I always enjoy because it's a total group of strangers and you never know what you're going to get. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, sometimes it's great. And then there are others like, uh, there's this one convention. I remember someone at the table was fairly bitter and wanted to talk about their recent divorce. And I'm like, it's not why we're here. Right. Um, we're here to escape from that stuff. <laughs> right. We're here to escape from, from the reality stuff. Um, and, and, you know, eventually they joined in, but, um, but yeah, convention games are a blast and sort of just know you're in for one and done. Um, and so that's, that's where I get to play and GM most often if it's not a play test, but at the end of every play test, I know I'm writing down notes. It's, yeah. it's a little, it's not quite work. It's still too much fun to be work work, but, um, you're sort of observing the process and noting the failure points. Yeah, but it's still a passion, so it's still got to be fun, right? It's still fun. It's <laughs> like, I'm playtesting my new scenario, or right. I'm playtesting this new system. Okay, even yeah. if it fails, I've learned something, and hooray, we've made it better. Yeah. Um, Cobalt Press has been really big on playtest and community involvement pretty much since the word go. Right. Um, how has the industry so. kind of changed? Because obviously, like before, you were talking, you know, you'd go home and you have your desktop or whatever. Sure. But now it's like you got in 30 laptops years and, you know, even marketing. It's yeah. like we were talking off stream about Discord, how Discord's becoming a big thing for gaming or social media, yes. things like that. Yes. What What are some of the really good things that have changed in the last, you know, <laughs> 20, 30 years? Sure. I mean... I had an online account in the 90s to talk about RPGs, but it was AOL, right? So it was primitive. But um, it's easier to find people. There's more video. There's more resources, right? You can look stuff up faster. Um, I like the emphasis on uh, sort of new ways to build community like discords. Um, But you know, for the most part, my impression is still people want to get together with their friends and play, uh, whether that's an online virtual tabletop or or at someone's home. Um, like that social connection. Yeah, we've got cameras and mics now for actual plays and streams, but but the heart of it is still talking to your buddies and and you know rolling some dice. That part isn't that different, even if your buddy happens to be, you know, somewhere else across town or across the country. Um, That seems like a convenience. Um, For the most part, I I still feel like we're telling stories about heroic adventure, right? Yeah. Um, Part of me wants to say, yeah, the industry is completely different. And when I think about pasting up magazine pages and like looking at physical proofs and like typesetting as a a department with a separate room and a million dollar typesetting machine in it, 
Yeah, that's not around anymore. Desktop yeah. publishing has changed stuff. We don't print in black and white nearly as much as we did. Um, I love all that. It's made it easier to make more beautiful books in a faster way. Um, it's made it possible to, you know, reprint stuff as print on demand. If you want a book that's just not available and you don't want to pay $100 on eBay, you know, maybe drive through has got it for you and print on demand. Yeah. Stuff like that just makes it easier um, and more fun to be part of the community because you don't have to scrounge around auction sites or the local hobby store and hope that you can find that out of print thing. Yeah. I remember years I was looking for the, was it the ninjas manual for AD and D? Cause <laughs> I, I just right? wanted the sort, I wanted the information in it or like there's a, Pirates of the Fallen Stars book that it's like it's got this one specific area of the world and that's not detailed anywhere else and it's like looking for it would take forever but now right. it's like one click away I just type it in right it's either on a wiki it's sort of a high level or you go to drive through and they've got the PDF for you and you're like I really just want to read it I don't want it on my shelf sure I mean it's easier than ever to get all that and it's easier than ever to find other people if you're like I don't understand this thing, right? Yeah. Um, so that impromptu network of who plays, who understands the rule book, who's read the thing, you know, do you have a friend or a neighbor who can teach someone new to play? That's all gotten so much better. Yeah. I mean, quick starts, YouTube, everything. It's easier to get into it. And I love that. Yeah. For sure. And I think the, like you mentioned, the live play, like that's been so huge for getting new people interested because they can see what it's about instead of, you know, having your friend Bill well, trying to convince you to come play. You can come watch by someone play and go, oh, that's it. Right? It's like you can, yeah. It's not your friend Bill saying, you got to show up and do this and this and this. It's, oh, that's what it is. Oh, that looks like fun. Right. Exactly. For sure. So, what was what was the onset of you becoming, you know, creating Cobalt Press? I know it wasn't originally called Cobalt Press. No, kind it was of called Open Design. The, creation and, and the, the, you know, the, the write-ups well, and all that stuff. All my big talk about <laughs> the community and the value of playtest, that's kind of where it came from, right? Okay. I wanted to self-publish my own stuff because I was sick and tired of working for somebody else and having to send them a manuscript and then wait six months for it to show up and print. It's like, how hard can it be? I will just print it myself with all this wonderful new technology we had 17 years ago. Like I will just put it on. I think I was using, it was either drive through or lulu.com. They both offered print on demand. Okay. I'm like I'll just do that. I won't even need typesetting machines. Um, and every time I say the words typesetting machine, you should imagine the smell of a wax that is used to paste the set type down onto a cardboard board that would then be shot by a photo camera and engraved into plates. I mean, it's practically steampunk technology, right? That yeah. That was the time. So print-on-demand seemed very plausible. I was going to skip the whole production thing and just need to do layout um, and, and publish it myself. But what I needed first was people who would help me pay for art because I have no art talents, uh, and people who would help me play test it 
so I put this stuff on live journal and I said, all right, here's my tip jar. Help me out. Um, help me play test. Let's do this thing. And it worked. Yeah. <laughs> A few people uh, chipped in and it was good because next thing you know, I'm like, okay, I'm doing one or two adventures a year in addition to, you know, working a day job. And then I was like, oh, I have an art director helping me out and an editor and I can hire an artist that, you know, I don't have to buy stock art. Um, and I poured all the money from crowdfunding before Kickstarter yeah. back in the business to like buy better editing, buy better paper, buy better art, maps. Um, and man, I'm frankly very embarrassed by the products of 17 years ago. Like I was learning on the job how to publish these things and learning the tools. Cause all I knew was the writing and the editing side. I didn't understand anything about right. graphics. I think that's a good analogy for people who are role-playing too. If you look back at our games, when we were, you know, our first time GMing compared right? to that, that would be a completely different story, but we wouldn't be who we are today if it wasn't for those games. If we hadn't started somewhere, right? Yeah. And so the early games might be, oh gosh, I could have made that better and not stumbled around with a 15 minute rule lookup. Um, yeah. You ever thought about uh, going back to some of those original things and redoing them for the mind? We have redone a couple of them actually okay. once in a while. And, and one of them is actually a setting piece called uh, uh, Zobek, which was a 3.5 gazetteer that i wrote um yeah 15 years ago and then it was a fourth edition book and a pathfinder book and then a fifth edition book i okay. believe and then finally haha -ha, for people who are seeing this on stream this is the zobeck oh my god it's yep, all gotta, blurry gotta deal with Why the blurry, blurry zoom background now? there look how beautiful <laughs> zobeck the clockwork city it's got oh my god it's got a bookmark it's got fancy endpapers but mostly it's a hardcover with like a whole campaign in it and i don't know can i show yeah that looks gorgeous there? for those that are yeah, watching live they can see it but there are people in the podcast it's a it, it's it's a beautiful hardcover book that coloring that it's super glossy and the art yeah. is exactly what you'd big step back from a from a mainstream rpg right so i don't know it has turned out beautifully but it is sort of a thing that has grown just like you know how many versions of Waterdeep are there right, right? like that that setting has been published a number of times and that's kind of what zobic is for cobalt press um it started off as the default because we needed some place to put our short adventures. And then it kind of grew and more and more people contributed to it over time because it was it was a community effort uh, to build the city and write the adventures. And if you look in the credits, it's, uh, you know, 12 adventures by 12 different authors. Uh, and the Gazetteer is mostly me and James Hake. He's over at Ghostfire Gaming doing Mahalo stuff these days, but once upon a time, he wrote a, a chunk of Cobalt Press stuff. How do you go from coordinating, you know, you said at the beginning, it was like you and you had an, an artist and maybe in a, and someone, how is it going from that to now you're like editing, you gotta, you gotta worry and coordinate for all of these authors to put together this, this project. What, sure. how do you deal with that? Well, uh, in most cases, I mean, Cobalt Press actually has a staff now and mm -hmm. we, um, 
I've been able to get some amazingly good editors, developers. Uh, you know, we even have a social media cobalt. Um, and we have an art director and a graphic designer and like stuff that used to be my problem can now be handed to someone who's actually good at it. Yeah. Uh, which, which is a huge relief. So part of what's changed is I'm no longer line editing everything. I'm more likely to be writing the outline and handing it off than I am to be, I still do design work, but not, I mean, it used to be pretty much everything I did for Cobalt Press started with, I'm writing the book, but that's not true anymore, right? So it's weird seeing other people do the stuff that I think of as, well, that was my job. Right. Because everything was your job. <laughs> everything was, but, you know, I tended to hire help in the order in which I knew I was no good at it. That's why, like, the art director, Mark Radel, was one of the first hires. I'm like, layout, graphic design, art direction. I, I have opinions, but I'm not actually good at it, right? right? <laughs> so You can look at something and go, I like this, I don't like this. Why? I don't know. <laughs> right. And I'm like, I, I don't even have the vocabulary or the skill set to really do this. Um, right. And and mm -hmm. so I think in terms of rules and games and text and story beats, but I don't think in terms of, you know, look, feel, flavor, fonts, kerning, and any of that. Um, so, yeah, it is great. And now, I mean, Mark's been the Cobalt Press art director for 10 years and going on more, I think. That's awesome. Um, and, you know, the look and feel of things, you can tell pretty much the day he was hired. It's like, wow, we went from black and white to color. It's it's like that scene in Wizard of Oz where all of a sudden, poof, it all looks better. Well, and the um, art on all of your guys' books are just always phenomenal. Every time I see it, it's right. like I go into the store, it's like, gosh, you're just drawn to some of those covers even. Right. Like the um, the level of art that we have in the hobby in the industry is amazing to me now, and some of it, I mean, some of it is people who are working on, you know, some Sony video game is their day job, and they're like, yeah, but I love tabletop, and you know, once in a while I can do X, Y, and Z for companies I like, and we're like, do you like us? We hope you like us. Uh, and, <laughs> And if we get 20 artists like that and, and five artists who are like, this is my full-time thing, doing art for the tabletop world, um, you know, we can fill a book with beautiful art. Um, and crowdfunding, of course, is the other thing that changed the industry completely. Because yeah. now we have, we have the money to buy time from artists who otherwise might just be doing magic cards or concept art for Sony, right? Right. Yeah, that's what awesome. I mean. you mentioned line editing earlier. Can you tell the audience? Because yeah. I've had editors on in the past and nobody's ever really I've never asked them to. But can you kind of explain the difference between like an editor and a line editor and the different types of editors that are out there? And kind of what yeah, everyone's got a slightly different set of definitions around this. But I will tell you the way I learned it. OK, back when um, editor is one of those terms like, oh, I don't know, engineer or. Uh, or something where it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, right? You're working with text to improve it. Um, and so the first editor that people might be aware of is the acquisitions editor. 
which is an editor whose whole job it is to bring manuscripts in-house. And you see an acquisitions editor primarily in the New York publishing world where their job is to bring in short stories, novellas, and novels. You don't see them as much in games. But in the New York publishing world, you're usually talking to an acquisitions editor. Okay. Um, a developmental editor, sometimes called a developer in the games field, um, is someone who kind of digs pretty deep into the manuscript of the game or the novel or whatever it is, and might tell the writer or game designer, your foundations are rotten, or you've missed a complete section here, or I don't like this character, I don't understand what's going on. And will developers will either fix it themselves or get results in from playtest and fix it based on that. But they're actually making substantial changes okay. to the manuscript. Um, again, to improve it, um, but, you know, sort of a heavier hand at that level. Uh, and in particular for rules editing, they're, they're touching rules content. Uh, a copy editor or a line editor, um, terms are almost interchangeable, they're close, okay. um, is someone who is looking basically for flow, for good grabbing hooks at the start, transitions, paragraphs, right? Like sort of structurally at the craft level. And this is what people often think editing is, is just sort of tweaking your sentences and, and making some changes here and there. Um, it's vital because that level of editing takes okay pros and makes it sparkly and delightful to read yeah or takes somewhat muddy rules text and just tightens it up enough that you go oh i know exactly how this is supposed to work right and they have a style guide and they have language and usage guides and grammatically they're improving the thing um and if you can't tell the difference between an edited and an unedited manuscript um you know i'd, I'd say okay you're not looking that close and the last kind of editor, of course, are the proofreaders who are primarily looking for finer points of usage, typos, um, all of the loose and untucked ends and grammatical trip-ups and slip-ups, like the difference between gantlet and gauntlet, um, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which, they're fine points, but if you have a good proofreader, you're going to embarrass yourself less and you're going to basically just never gonna annoy your reader because all the periods will be where they're supposed to be all the typos will have been vanquished yeah yeah it's sort of layers it's like sieves right the first sieve is the big one do we even want this manuscript and then it's well do we want the manuscript in this form and then it's do we want these sentences to be a little nicer and then do we want this word to be some other word yeah well that's great i i appreciate you explaining it because i know we've had so many different authors editors game designers on and there's we, the, the subject of editing always comes up but i've never had anyone explain what yeah, what that I, really entails so it's always in service of the audience right like every single one of those editors is looking for something that will make the audience say yeah that's awesome where's your next one right? <laughs> um and, and you know the designer or the author gets all the credit and rightly so because they started that ball rolling if it starts rolling poorly editors can only do so much yeah um but 
but every writer who, who really knows what's going on is like, I want to thank my editor for making me not look like a fool on 12 occasions. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Let's, uh, let's shift gears a little bit. Because sure. you, we were talking about you, how you started Cobalt Press, how, kind of how you got here. And now you've got all kinds of stuff in the works, right? Yes. Um, oh, my You just goodness. got done uh, kickstarting Deep Magic 2. Yes, our biggest Kickstarter ever. How did that do? <laughs> and explain to us kind of what that entailed, putting that Kickstarter together. So Deep Magic 2 uh, has been about an 18-month effort uh, so far. Uh, back in 2018 or so, we kickstarted Deep Magic 1, and it was a success uh, because magic. Um, but, you know, some years ago, and we made some mistakes in how we organized the book and got some errata and things we wanted to change. So we said, why don't we clean up that book and reorganize it? And why don't we make a new book that's like that but different? Um, and so it's a two-volume set of magic for every single spellcasting class in fifth edition D and D. Um, it's, you know, it's even two brand new classes, the witch base class and some sub variants for that. And the theurge. And it's the first project led by the Cobalt uh, press senior game designer, Celeste Conowich, who is also the designer uh, leading the charge on the Black Flag project. Okay. So, uh, yeah, a ton of magic, hundreds of new spells, subclasses, familiars, everything. And for some reason, that's popular with a fantasy role-playing audience. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, putting it together, you know, doing the new stuff is always the exciting thing, but also tinkering and, and fixing up and, and eroding some of the old stuff pretty satisfying when you know the rules are going to be played with for years yeah and they get a lot of table time right something for the paladin something for the warlock something for the wizard the cleric the druid everybody gets new toys how do you balance the kind of stuff you put in there and make sure that it works with everything else what's uh what's not everything there? is balanced on first like the first way is we trust our developer to find the most egregious stuff the second way is we play test it the nice thing about volume one of the Deep Magic set is it's gotten a bunch of playtests, and um, and so has Deep Magic 2. Those two playtests, uh, the new base classes, the Witch and the Theurge, went out to the Cobalt Press Discord. And they were called Project Sparkle because we weren't ready to announce it yet. Just like Project Black Flag. It's not the real name, but it's... What we're calling it for now. So Project Sparkle was the Deep Magic 2 code name. And we play tested from October or November of last year uh, through December. And there were, I don't know, hundreds of playtesters on the Discord beating on the two new base classes saying, this is no good, this is no good, this is great, make it more like this. Um, and we compiled thousands of playtest reports and all of that went into the mill to make new base classes that are good out of the box. Um, it's not too hard to put down a base class. It's hard to put down a base class that is different from what's already out there and exciting to play. Yeah. So uh, I would say Celeste is the person to talk to or the editor, Scott Gable, uh, about what that experience was like or the developer, Megan, 
who who read all these reports and um and that's how we balance the base classes it's similar for the spells right okay cool cool yeah oh my goodness we love playtest at cobalt press yeah and we still don't get it right every time but we're a lot closer right i think this sets us apart from some third-party publishers who are um either don't have the place test infrastructure or don't have the time to do it because um, it's an investment do you guys spend a lot of time doing play tests at like conventions and stuff where you could be there in person where they're playing them uh we do less there although for a long time we had a policy of running our short adventures at conventions first and we might run an adventure for you know a year at conventions and take all that convention feedback, actual table time, um, back before we would put something in print. And we even contracted designers this way, right? Like if your adventure goes just out on the convention circuit and a couple hundred people play it, that's great. But if we print it, um, you know, you'll be credited for that, and you get uh, you get a nice bump, an additional payment for your design work if it makes it out of the convention circuit and into print uh, these days we have so many people willing to play test and with tools like discord um or or um even some of the the kickstarter play test groups um we tend not to rely on conventions there was this weird two or three year period where we weren't getting a lot of convention play so we had to find other solutions yeah that makes sense what was your goal for through the deep magic. What do you know off the top of your head what your target goal was? Because I know you guys hit like 800,000 or something like that, but what was the goal? The goal was 50 grand. We wanted $50,000 to cover our print bill for a small print run. And okay, well, it's going to be a big print run. Yep, yep. It was an incredible success, and we're going to put it up for pre orders and we're going to have it available, you know certainly by Christmas, maybe for Thanksgiving. We'll see. Um, I've seen the art. I've read a ton of the text. We didn't go to Kickstarter until we had a complete manuscript and it had been play tested. So Deep Magic 2 is going to look pretty great. It's going to play really great. And I'm just kind of grateful that as many people came out of the woodwork as did. I think it was 9,500, 9,600 uh, backers. Okay. So, um, yeah, there's definitely an appetite for more magic. Is this going to be compatible with your Black Flag project? It is. Black Flag is 5th edition compatible. Uh, there's an appendix that we are putting in the back of Deep Magic 2 that talks about, here's what you need to do to play this with Black Flag rules. Okay. Um, but the whole point of, of Project Black Flag is that it's a way to keep 5th edition content viable you don't need to get rid of a bookshelf full of books and and buy into a new rule set um you know you can still play all those adventures you can still play those classes and the first playtest packet went out uh, a week ago and change and we're very happy with the results yeah uh, most people are like oh this is kind of familiar uh kind of fifth edition like and we're like yes that's the point um but there's some fresh new things in there too right like we're putting a couple of areas where we think things could be better 
We're doing talents instead of feats. Uh, we're changing up some of the character options to be heritages. We're changing the way we do backgrounds. But if you have a character that's built out of the fifth edition player's handbook and a character that's built from Black Flag, initiative is the same, combat's the same. The power curve is similar, although I think there's a rule in the playtest packet that says if you are a fifth edition character, you should get one extra talent to bring you up to the level of a Black Flag character. Okay. So, but really, like with a, a tiny bit of an adjust, adjustment, um, all those things can happen at the same table. We're not using any funny dice. We're not saying relearn big chunks of the rules. Right. Um, backgrounds are still backgrounds. So it should be familiar to everybody who loves 5e and, and wants to stick with it. What brought, about, just, what, a, what brought about Let's Make Black Flag? What, like, what uh, was the... Last Gen Con. Okay. <laughs> Uh, last Gen Con, the rumor went around the industry that the open gaming license would be uh, would not be available for mm -hmm. one D and D. Okay, um, and that it was pretty much you know going to be a closed shop, and they were tired of having community content. These were all rumors, right? Right, right. And so we said, eh, I don't know about that. Right, like that's our whole business right now, and we love Fifth Edition. We want it to keep going. And we're like, well, we have the OGL and it'll be fine. We can just keep going with that. But we looked at it some and said, well, what would we need, right? Like, where would you get a monster manual if the only monster manual is a sixth edition monster manual? Or right. where would you go for new adventures if like all the official wizards things are, are a new edition? Um, we said, well, what if we kind of planned for that and we thought we would keep some like there are still people who play third edition right and fourth edition and hell there are people in the old school renaissance right who play very old games indeed i have played white box D D from 1974 and boy um it was entertaining but perhaps not in the way originally meant right, right. like wow rules have changed yeah but we said let's see and we thought it would be sort of a, a fun thing to do and potentially good for cobalt press to be seen as yeah we love 5e so much we're just going to keep making it even as as we look around at other things yeah and then of course the whole open gaming license thing happened in january everything blew up um and at that point we said well we're just going to announce that we're working on this and have been for a while and see if people like it and will help us play test it in public mm -hmm. so um i don't think the edition wars are back but people will have many flavors of D, &D to right. choose from yeah and it, it kind of reminds it harkens back to um the impetus of paizo making making pathfinder off of three five when they went to fourth and i'm like it really feels right. like that's what it what it is and it's like oh it's a fork it, right like yeah. we're doing things I, there are differences between then and now. That was whatever, yeah. fifteen years ago. Yeah, but um, but it's similar, right? Like we like the existing rule set. We don't want to throw it away, and we don't necessarily want a big change. Um, we want to keep what's been put in the Creative Commons. Like, you know, 
big way, Black Flag is sort of taking the Hasbro at their word. They said, we're putting 5th edition in the Creative Commons. Yeah. Okay. Well, in that case, um, we'll keep working with it. Yeah. Because it's it's easy. There's no concern about, is it going to be withdrawn or pulled away? It's just not everything in the Monster Manual is out there in the Creative Commons, a large chunk of the player's handbook, subclasses, there are no feats to speak of, right? Yeah. There's stuff yeah. that's not there. But those are all opportunities. For yeah, you get, it gives like, you guys a lot of room to do all kinds of great work. It's like, all right, we don't have a feat system. Well, we kind of wanted to do a talent system, so here it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it is a great opportunity. Some people will love it. Some people will not. And that's okay. Um, just like Pathfinder, uh, some people jumped on board and adopted it wholesale. And some people said, no, I'm, I'm drifting off to do something else. Role-playing's always been, you know, a widely ranging community of people who are still playing the game the way it was played in 1985. And the people who are pushing the boundaries with, well, I don't even know, right? the coolest, hottest, newest, weirdest thing to come out of Sweden in the last three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> when, you know, six months later, it's like, yeah, that's old. And we're moving on to the newest, hottest, greatest thing to come out of Estonia in the last three weeks. Um, <laughs> I don't chase the new hotness, but we do, we do like to put our cobalt spin on stuff, though we will. Yeah. When is, uh, you're planning on putting Black Flag out on Kickstarter? Yes, we are. That's coming. Oh, gosh. Sooner than I. It's like a freight train. I keep looking at the light. It keeps getting closer. Um, <laughs> that is that no. is coming. We will announce many more details about that Kickstarter. Um, and we're, you know, there's a lot of little kobold scrambling behind the scenes. Some of it's really well prepared. But like I was telling you about Deep Magic 2, usually we take a year, 18 months, before we pull the trigger on the Kickstarter. And we've only been working on Black Flag since Gen Con. So, well, you know, six, five and a half months. It, it's less time than we usually give ourselves um, to prepare for something like that. Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, the whole team's pretty excited about it. The community is giving great feedback. Um, the artists are, <laughs> the artists are enjoying uh, the opportunity to reinvent some classics of fantasy. Great. And uh, yeah, we're just going to keep rolling with it. Every Friday, I think, we put out a, a post of like what we're doing and where we're headed, or here's a playtest packet, or here's a put out a design diary last Friday that kind of explained a little bit about here's our design intent, here's what's changing, here's what's not. Nice. For those that are listening... If you want to check out any of the Kickstarters coming up, uh, kickstarter.com backslash profile backslash deep magic is the Cobalt Press uh, yes. Kickstarter page. So you guys can go and check that out. Uh, go ahead and follow them and then you'll get notified when the next Kickstarter goes live. And you can go back and look at some of the old Kickstarters as well that they've done that have been successful and awesome. Uh, I also want to mention you guys uh, have a hum humble bundle. Yes. You want to tell oh us about goodness. the Humble Bundle? I, I just yes. found out, like, literally, it was like 15 minutes before we went live. Somebody said, hey, Nick, have you seen this, the Humble Bundle? And I was like, no, I haven't. Well, I'm going to ask him <laughs> about it tonight. 
Yeah, we've been in on a number of them over the years, and this one is sort of a... It's us and a number of other third-party creators. Um, so Cobalt Press put some of its best books up on Humble. Um, I think Book of Ebon Tides is in there, which is my my passion project for the Shadow Plane. Um, there's uh, Adventures, there's Player Supplements, there's, oh, I think part of Rap and Athic and like the Frog Gods, Lost Land stuff. There's something from Castles and Crusades. Um, yeah, but uh, a bunch of the money raised goes to charity, in this case, the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, because we wanted to defend uh, independent creators that way. Uh, and some of the funds, of course, go to Humble Bundle and some to the, the publishing partners. But wow, we'd love your support. I think it's something like $700 worth of materials for 25 or 40 bucks. Yeah, it's an it's amazing. It's always deal. a great deal yeah even if you don't use half of it you've still um you've gotten a swath of great stuff so i would urge people to check it out sweet you want to talk a little bit about your campaign builder the cities and towns yes i see yes. you got you, you gave me the date of february uh, 21st this is it look this is the cover. advanced Those watching look at it's, it's an amazing cover go look go look it up it on the is. internet if you're listening on the podcast but if you're here i wish i could tell you everything that's in it but you know it's it's got npcs and magic and downtime activities and how to build a city and tables for naming stuff like taverns or doing menus family secrets noble families adventure hooks galore um there's a thing about running a merchant company in here in the downtime area, I think. Contact monsters, extra sewer monsters. Um, oh man, I love the naming tables. Four name by region Central European, Eastern European, Western European, Mediterranean, Scandinavian, Turkic. Um, and, uh, oh, yeah, and a couple of maps showing the growth of this particular city. Uh, it also comes with, or you can get with it, the Cities and Towns map folio, which is giant two-foot by three-foot poster maps uh, of, like, the city market, the city docks, the city sewers, the city uh, tournament grounds or stadium, um, alleys, back streets. Uh, it's kind of, you know, any fantasy city you want or you have downtime in in a... Uh, of the party, it's yeah. got the right map for it. And they're wet, dry, erase, and beautiful, and huge, and I don't know, maps. I can never have too many beautiful maps to throw down yeah, on the table. Yeah, I agree. It kind of reminds me, one of my favorite books ever for, for 3.5 was called Cityscape. And it kind of, it looks from what you were yes. saying and reading. It really gives me that feel, because I love, I love world building, especially cities, and getting the details of the city, and like, this is this little section or, but being able to build my own cities. And that's really what it, what it feels like to me. And I'm really excited for it. It's meant to be sort of a, a, a toolbox for homebrewers, right? If you're making your own, we're just going to help you roll it. We're not going to make it for you, but there is a city character sheet in the cities and towns campaign builder. Okay. And it's got a lot of fields to think about NPCs, locations, plot points and you get it all on one sheet of paper just like a character so every time they go to a particular town you've got a you've got a complete set of notes on one sheet of paper that's awesome that is so cool all right so the other thing you mentioned to me 
is the uh, Kobold Guide to Dungeons. Yeah, it's not even out yet. And that's but in they made me, March? Yeah, it's probably March. Uh, March or April. Um, it's Well, the Kobold Guides are all about helping people do better world building or run better games or have more fun making a board game or running combat or whatever, right? Like we've done 10 of these, but we've never done a Kobold Guide to Dungeons before. And um, what I love about this collection is it combines some of the old guard the guys who invented the dungeon, and it was mostly guys, along with some new guard people who are really changing it up and have been writing for, oh, I don't know, uh, Hasbro or Paizo or or any of the, the bigger current creators. So I was just excited that Lawrence Schick said he would write something because he wrote White Plume Mountain and Zeb Cook wrote something. And, and Bruce Nesmith, who's done not just Ravenloft, but also a huge amount of work on Skyrim. Um, and who's not a fan of Skyrim? Let's be honest. I mean, come on, right? And like he worked uh, on Elder Scrolls and uh, Skyrim stuff for years. And, um, and But he came out of the tabletop industry. So um, yeah, there's there's sort of people who've been doing it forever. And then there's the newcomers who are like doing it right now uh, for Pathfinder uh, or for uh, fifth edition D&D or other systems. And they're all talking about this classic trope, the dungeon. And my essay in it is all about, I mean, not to give too much away, but it's basically about why I think vertical dungeons are a blast for the game master, but need to be implemented a little carefully or they get to be a source of frustration for the players. Yeah, because um, you know usually it's a layer cake with neat little stairs to go up and down, but once in a while you want to say it's a cave and it's vertical. Uh, man, did we bring any rope? <laughs> Who's got the fly spell? Are we high enough to fly or levitate? Please, we don't want to do the climbing rules. Um, but there's a lot of fun to be had with uh, with vertical and uh, yeah, more challenging elements in a dungeon that is more three-dimensional. So I, I have a bunch of ideas in that essay uh, that I hope spark people's imaginations making their own stuff. That's awesome. That is great. I love that. I love anything that helps people, especially helps new players kind of get the grasp because we have so many people um, that I see all the time, whether it's here on stream or people messaging the podcast like, I want a GM, but I don't really know how to do it or where to find players or what to do. And I'm yes. always like, here's some, here's some sources for you. Um, in right? fact, I, I'll, I'll talk with you afterwards, but we have a show called the game masters workshop that we do that we get eh. people on. And that's what we do. We spend two hours answering questions and tackling subjects that new GMs or new players or old experienced GMs and players don't necessarily, don't necessarily know tricks of the trade and, and, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's fantastic. So. I love that kind of information. Uh, whatever form it comes in as a show, as a, you know, advice from somebody, you know, or, or written down. Yeah. It's all good. Um, because you know, it's a skill set. Yeah. Game mastering is, is definitely something you learn. And like we mentioned earlier, like some people now, are different than they were, you know, 10, 20 years ago as their first time GM. And oh, gosh, yeah. how many times can I say, this is a mistake I've made that I don't ever want to make again. Here is my mm -hmm. advice to you, young Padawan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like, hopefully you'll learn from my embarrassment. Right. Yes. Exactly. 
for sure. Do you guys have any, do you or Cobalt Press have any upcoming events or shows or other podcasts or anything like that I that you're going to be part of? Uh, well, every Wednesday, every Wednesday we have a Cobalt chat show on Twitch. So that's always a good place to catch up with what's going on with the Cobalts. Uh, convention wise, I think we're at GaryCon uh, in a couple of weeks here. Okay. But um, I'm not sure that we have a booth. I think we're just doing some panels and some organized play stuff. It's pretty small presence for us there. Okay. Um, it's a smaller show. And uh, Gen Con. <laughs> Gen Con. <laughs> Boy, are we going to be at Gen Con. Uh, every single Cobalt person, anyone we can. Bring it. It's going to be a big show for us because we will have a public play test of uh, of some of the Black Flag rules. We'll have uh, a couple of new books out, and um, I don't know. We like Gen Con. It's gather the tribe, have a good time. Awesome, that's great. People can find you cobaltoppress.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're on Discord. Get this, people who like Discord. I, I'm blown away by this. Discord.gg backslash cobaltpress to get into the thing they got yes, their own they got their own invite name what the heck <laughs> How i don't you know why out? we rape them i was talking yes. it's like yeah but the discord invites are always like a bunch of letters and numbers and reading that off on for the podcast is really hard nope discord.gg backslash cobalt press it's so yep, easy come come say hi it's really active and it's really nice we do our play test there we answer questions we help new game masters there's a show and tell section where you can say, look, I got a new book or I painted this mini. Let me show you. That's so, great. Lots of fun stuff there. Twitter at Cobalt Press or Twitter at Black Flag RPG. Also good. Or you personally at Monkey King. Yeah, I've had that account forever. <laughs> I, should, <laughs> I should tweet more. <laughs> Facebook backslash Cobalt Press. Instagram at Cobalt Press or you Instagram at Wolfgang.Bauer, YouTube yes. at Cobalt Press Games, and twitch.tv backslash Cobalt Press. You guys are all over the place. I love yeah, it. Yeah, we really are. We really are. It. Well, we're numerous, is the thing about Cobalt's individually weak, but teamwork, <laughs> back tactics, look out. In large numbers. Yes. And shout out to your to your social media person. They're always doing all kinds of stuff. I can't go anywhere without seeing some cool Cobalt Press stuff and on any Hooray. of the social medias. So, so we strive to entertain. We mostly we entertain ourselves, right? But <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good stuff. Well, I appreciate you being here and joining us. For those in the live stream chat, we're going to do some of the Q and A's. You guys got your questions in the chat. Feel free to add more questions to the chat, and we will get to those. But for those listening to the podcast, or supposedly, I guess, on live stream here, our schedule is going to get pushed off by one week. Our next episode isn't going to be till March 13th, but it's going to be with comic book writer Erica Schultz. She wrote for Marvel's Daredevil, Image Comics, The Deadly Bouquet, and Urban Fantasy, Forgotten Homes, just to name a few. That's, again, going to be March 13th. It'll be March 14th on the podcast form if you listen to the podcast. Also coming up, we're going to have author Michelle Franklin, comic book writer Otis Frampton, and representative for digital board game company Savranti, Danny Efforts, is going to be joining us. Not to mention RPG designer Steve Kinson. All of these people are set for future episodes. So please follow, subscribe. Make sure to rate and review all of our episodes. It really helps us and, in turn, helps our guests. So, for Wolfgang Bauer and myself, I want to thank you all for listening. 
two epic realms. Well, there you are. I hope you enjoyed yourselves. And I do hope that you come back and join us again for Epic Realms. <laughs>